0: Gathered in his name to worship him. We have come into his house, gathered in. Ourselves, magnify the name And worship Him Let's forget about ourselves Magnify the name And worship Christ the Lord Worship Him Christ the Lord
1: Let's bow for opening prayer Almighty God, we listen for your, your quiet voice and we ask that you hear us as we pray. Your word tells us that we are new men and new women because you have provided us with a new birth, a new heart. You have called us into a new life and a friendship with you that influences all our relationships, and you help us to see beauty where we might have seen ugliness. Our new hearts seek your ways, and your spirit fills us and empowers us with love and goodness. We are thankful that you are here with us during this worship hour. We are thankful that you teach us your grace, that you show us the wonder of your vast glory, the wonder of your unlimited mercy. So we praise you, Lord God, for changing us. You are a wonderful God. And we remember the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. He wrote that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah foretold that the Messiah would be acquainted with grief and that he would be despised and rejected. And that prophecy was indeed true. The sorrow that Jesus experienced began with the sorrow that comes from silence. What do I mean? He waited for 30 years to begin his ministry, and all around him he saw a hollow religion. He saw the poor being oppressed. He saw the sick being unattended to. He saw those in power abusing their positions. And he saw God's truths misrepresented. He knew that the earth was filled with hypocrisy and violence. He saw all this when he was growing up. And he knew the cure. But at that point in his life, he remained silent. Surely he experienced deep sorrow as he waited for the right moment in history to begin his ministry. A ministry that would usher in a whole new way for for humanity to be in relationship with their creator. And when the time came and his ministry exploded onto the scene, there is an event that had a bitterness all of its own. It's an event that most believers have never considered. And this event was not about his enemies seeking to destroy him or the Pharisees trying to discredit him. Rather it was an event in his life that surely caused him more sorrow than any enemy could ever have inflicted upon him. When he left the family's carpenter shop and moved out into the wider world, his friends and his family were watching him. They had likely always thought there was something strange about him. But when he moved into the public eye, his family and friends developed an unflattering opinion about him. He traveled around Judea. Lots of people began following him. And as he went about teaching in his unusual manner, they thought, What is wrong with him? He's strange. His family and friends believed that Jesus, the hometown boy... Was making them look bad. And on one sad day. Their negative response erupted. They had made up their minds. It was clear to them. It was clear to the family and friends of Jesus. That he, Jesus, was out of his mind. They were. Determined that Jesus was insane. We read this in Mark chapter 3. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. You would think there was a there would be at least. One place where the Son of Man was able to lay his head. One roof under which Jesus could sleep peacefully, knowing that his family had his back, where he was loved and supported. But his hometown turned against him. He saw the furtive glances. He noticed the whispering behind his back. He could sense, he could feel the suspicion Against him, he heard the voices of those who had once been kind to him overwhelmingly announce the verdict of his family and former friends he's out of his mind. Truly, like the Apostle John said, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. John chapter 1, verse 11. His family and friends believed that their verdict was correct. They didn't consider it slander. To them, Jesus was out of his mind. He had become strange. He was no longer just someone who walked to the beat of a different drum. Now he was embarrassing them. Either he really was, literally, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, or he was out of his mind. Those closest to him chose to label him as a madman. When Jesus walked the earth, he found nearly all of humanity revolving around the same circle. There was only one center of human life, and that center was selfishness. Life was all about finding enjoyment through whatever means was available. The world was a vortex of self-indulgence, personal ease, and pleasure. And it's the same vortex that has been sucking the world's population since time began. It's the same vortex that you see if you look at the news on any evening in our country. It continues to attract and suck in humanity today. But not so with Jesus. He stepped away from all that world had to offer. He refused to be sucked in. He could not be tempted. and So Jesus humbled himself. But you know there's no place in the world's vortex for humbleness. Jesus became of no reputation there's no place in the world's vortex for namelessness. Jesus emptied himself. If you know anything about science, gravity cannot act upon emptiness. So when the prince of darkness came to Jesus, there was nothing within Jesus that could respond to Satan's temptations. There was nothing within Jesus that could respond to Satan's temptations. And why is that? Because the very center of the life of Jesus was with his father. The unseen God, the eternal God, directed Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus did not seek his own happiness. Rather, he sought to bring happiness to others, He went about doing good. He did not seek gain for himself. He sought to teach others about his father. And for that, the world labeled him as a madman. What did Jesus say that caused his hometown to label him as a madman? What did Jesus talk about that was so offensive, so off base, that his words could cause even his own family to turn away from him? He said things they didn't understand. Words that to them were irrational. He said that he had food to eat that they did not know about. He talked about living water. He taught the Beatitudes. He declared sources of happiness that they had never heard of. He talked in parables. He used utterly paradoxical speech. He said that the way to find life was to lose it, and then any man who would lose his life would find it in eternity. He talked differently than any man who had come before him. He was not only unusual, but he was also bizarre. Bizarre isn't necessarily a bad word. Bizarre means totally different. He would not go along with the crowd. It was inevitable that men would sneer at him. It was inevitable that he would be accused of losing his mind. What do you suppose would happen to you if you would try to live your life the way Jesus lived his life? The world would respond to you the same way it responded to him. Jesus even said so. He wrote, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. John chapter 15, verse 20. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you will be different from other people. And time has not altered the essential difference between the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of the world. The difference is radical. And it's eternal. Your faith projects itself into the world. It projects the ways of Jesus into the world. Your faith reveals itself by duplicating the methods and the purposes of Jesus. Your footprints are at right angles to the well worn road that the world travels. You don't follow the same direction as the world, the road Jesus wants you to follow is the road he traveled. A different path. His ways should be your ways. And wherever his ways are followed, opposition will be found. Jesus said so. He also said, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. It means right there in your own household. Being a follower of Jesus will bring peace and joy to you internally. But it's not an easy path because your ways are will always be opposed by the world's crowd. Because a follower of Jesus is very different. So different that the Bible uses some strikingly descriptive words to describe the character, the character change that happens to a person who commits to following Jesus. A follower of Jesus is described as a new man or a new woman in Ephesians chapter 4. A follower of Jesus is described as a new creature in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A follower of Jesus is described as having a new heart in Ezekiel chapter 11. And then most striking of all, a follower of Jesus is described as having a new birth in John chapter 3. The life of a believer has the potential to be totally transformed. The life of a believer has been imbued with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit around a new center. It's no longer selfishness, rather, the new center is Jesus becomes the new center of your life, and selfishness gets moved aside. And one thing that happens shortly after a new believer commits to following Jesus is that he or she is noticed. And that change is always seen to be something strange. Often they see it as something strange. The change is sometimes described as a weakness that wasn't expected or it's said to be a momentary personal crisis that the person is going through. Harsh words. But they are not new words. These kind of words are, in their mildest form, simply a repeat of the words that Jesus heard from those who were closest to him. He has lost his mind. Some early church members were standing together in Jerusalem just days after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. And suddenly the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. It was the day of Pentecost, and men and women from throughout the empire had also gathered in Jerusalem for the feast. Those early followers of Jesus began to speak. And we read, in the book of Acts, that the visitors, thousands of them from around the empire, were able to understand what those followers of Jesus were saying in their native languages. An impression was being made upon the world. That very day, a tremendous impression was made as the church was ushered into existence by the mighty power of God's Holy Spirit. Many of the visitors were amazed, and they asked, what does this mean? I'm confident that many of the believers told them that the Holy Spirit had come in power and was stirring the hearts of the people and moving them to repent. But of course, there were others there who were not believers. And they had a different answer these men, they said, are full of wine. Acts chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. This time the worldly op- opposition didn't say that the followers of Jesus were insane. This time, they said that the followers of Jesus were drunk. A few years later, probably, yeah, a good, more than 15 years later, if I remember my history correctly, the Apostle Paul made a great speech before King Agrippa and Governor Festus in the hall of the Caesarean Palace. Paul told them about the grace of God and of his conversion on the Damascus Road. And he closed the speech with an eloquent confession that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead and become light to both the Jew and to the Gentiles. What do you suppose was the impression Paul made upon his audience? Justice replied in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Acts 26 verse 24. Should we be surprised? It doesn't matter that we are eloquent or we speak with passion. It doesn't matter that we speak in a calm manner. The effect of followers of Jesus upon the world remains the same today as it was in the early church. The message of Jesus is offensive to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. And the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. So, with all that I've shown you, all that we've looked at today, it's, it's fair to say that the more active we are in proclaiming, proclaiming our faith, the more unpopular we will be. At first, the message Jesus proclaimed didn't trouble his friends and family too much. For 30 years, they were content to to put up with it. But after he called his 12 disciples and his ministry grew rapidly, his friends left him. And by that time, not even tender and compassionate words could could soften his opponent's anger. Rather, those very same tender and compassionate words were used against him. It was after Jesus gave his exquisite discourse about the good shepherd that the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon-possessed, and out of his mind, why listen to a man like that? This was after a year in his ministry. To them, the words of Jesus were the ravings of a madman. In the first year of his ministry, the world around Jesus received him. Overall, it was a year of public favor. Large crowds followed him. The followers of John the Baptist gathered around the new rabbi. The land of Palestine was ringing with wonder when the name Jesus was mentioned during that first year. Even the rulers and the noblemen were looking to have an audience with Jesus. Other rabbis wanted to have an audience with him. But it didn't take long for the excitement Die off. His second year of ministry has been called the year of opposition. The applause was over. The the crowds thinned out. He was obstructed on every hand. The Pharisees and Sadducees were against him, and most of the people gave up on him. His path was narrowing. His third year of ministry narrowed down to a much smaller group. He had loyal followers, but the people generally did not understand his message. We all know the history. They were looking for the Messiah to come as a warrior to throw out the Romans. That's not what Jesus came to do. During the Passover meal, Jesus gathered together with his twelve disciples. But Judas abandoned him after receiving a sop of bread, leaving only eleven. Soon Peter followed, leaving only ten. And one by one, every disciple exited Until all had forsaken him and he was left to die alone. If you think about it, the path of a believer grows narrow as well. As a believer grows in grace, that believer grows in isolation. You feel your life detaching from the world around you. And as you draw closer and closer into into a more intimate relationship with God, you feel a greater detachment from the world. You feel a chasm between the world and you widening. There's no doubt that the chasm between the early Christians and their world was very wide. Indeed, Paul wrote to the early Christians these words, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It was, and it remains, a position of honor in the family of God to be counted worthy of being persecuted for the sake of Christ. However, don't ever believe that living as a follower of Jesus is in any way destructive. First, nothing Jesus did was harmful. Nothing. He had no quarrel with existing institutions. He didn't overthrow the synagogue. He attended the synagogue. He never spoke out against the politics of the day. He taught his followers to support the government of the land. He didn't denounce the traditions of the, the culture of, of his day. He kicked off his ministry by attending a wedding in Canaan. The truth is that Jesus tried to be normal. He wasn't a fanatic. Fanatics always damage their cause by extending it to the letter. They are narrow-minded. Jesus didn't come to destroy. He came to fulfill the law. His only real difference from the world around him was in the largeness of his heart. The big difference was in the love he had toward humanity. His life was not about selfishness. It was about following the directions of his father. And when he taught and healed and proclaimed his message, he was perfectly composed. Jesus never showed uncontrolled nervousness or excitement. You don't read these emotions in his words. He was never carried away by the heat of the moment. He remained calm, always composed, regardless of the storms around him, until he laid in the grave, until he lay in the grave, he was calm like a sea of glass. And so he left a standing invitation to all the generations that would follow after him, come unto me and I will give you rest. And when his bloodthirsty enemies, who had gathered in the streets of Jerusalem to hunt him down, found him in the garden, he turned to them and he calmly said, I am Jesus, the one you seek. Jesus was consistently patient, he was consistently confident. His life, from the viewpoint of consistency, was the sane life, S-A-N-E. Insanity is belief in God and eternity with no corresponding life. To claim the name of Jesus, to pledge to be faithful to his name and cause, and then fail to lift a finger to help his cause, that is the real insanity. Insanity. And with that, I leave you with a charge today. I charge you to live consistently faithful to the ways of Jesus. Make his ways your ways. Enthusiastically live for Jesus. Be obedient to his commandments. Live your faith as Jesus lived his faith. This is, is what we have been saved by God's grace to do, to live like our master. This is our chief purpose for our time on earth and for eternity. May you live a faithful life. May you be a witness for Jesus, shining his light upon others so that they too may come to know Jesus as a personal savior and friend.
0: Taken me from the miry clay, set my feet upon the rock. Now I know you. I love you. I need you. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. My Savior, my closest friend. I will worship you until the very end. Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay. Set my feet upon a rock. world may fall, I'll never let you go. My Savior, my closest friend. I will worship you until the very